I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed podcast. We have a friend calling in from Vermont, and her name is Myrna Valerio. She has a very special story about running. Used to be a school teacher and we're about to hear that story. So welcome, Myrna. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me on your show. And I don't know how to put this. I guess someone of your stature, you wouldn't expect them to be such an avid runner, which has created somewhat of a buzz for you. And tell me a little bit about what that drive is internally and and how often do you run and and what's the goal here? So when you say stature, uh, I am a plus-sized woman and I've been plus-sized since I, I can remember, well, since second grade. <laughs> and I've always loved movement. Um, I, I didn't come from a family that did a whole lot of exercise because they had other priorities uh, in Brooklyn, New York. That's where I grew up. But um, I had the opportunity to go to boarding school outside of New York City and try sports. And so my very first year at this boarding school, the master school in uh, Dobbs Ferry, New York, I went up for the field hockey team. I was 13. This is 1989, which seems very long ago. And I had been so curious about the sport that I had seen on all my visits to boarding school. So I decided that this is the sport that I wanted to play. I'd looked at soccer. They looked like they were having an awful time running loops around the field. Uh, I don't want to be inside. I, I definitely wanted to be outside. So I tried out for the field hockey team and it was one of the toughest active days of my life. Uh, I, I get out there. We immediately run five loops of the field, which was just under a mile. You know, I, I didn't have any point of reference back then, but now I know that it was just under a mile. We're doing that to warm up. And then after that, we do a timed mile on the school's campus, which had a lot of hills. Another thing that was really, really very difficult for me, I came in penultimate and mouth guards and shin guards and and doing things on the field. And we had to do dribbling with the ball and, and stuff. Remember, this is field hockey on grass. Um, and it was really, really, really tough. And there was one instance where we, in the midst of this, one of our one of our drills was to do line drills that used to be called suicide drills. We go from zero to 25, back to zero to 50, and you're sprinting the entire time with no breaks. And this, again, very, very difficult for me, very challenging. I also had asthma. And so the coach runs up to me and says, uh, and I think she's going to say, you know, thank you, but no thanks. Uh, why don't you go do community service or do something indoors? Because uh, you're not going to be serving us very well on this field. And she, But she came up to me and said, hey, you know, how you doing? And I just, I just had to shake my head because I couldn't speak. She goes, you know what? This is really hard. And I, and I, and I nodded and she goes, you know what? You're, you're out here. I know this is hard, but you're still doing it. You're still out here. So, you know, keep it up. Great job. And then she runs to the next person. And that was it. That solidified my entry into sport forever. Um, a lot of people won't have positive experiences like that where they, they show up to somewhere and they don't really have any skills or they don't know what they're doing. She tells me I'm doing a great job and I really want to, I want to do that great job. Right. And so the next morning after that practice and after I got accepted onto the team, I started running 
That was September of 1989. And except for a three and a half year hiatus where my health just got progressively worse uh, back in 2004, I've been running ever since. And how many times do you run during a week? Well, during a week, let's see, now, nowadays, three or four times. Uh, I also, I just came back from a ride. So I'm I'm very big on cross training because I'm not injured anymore, though, knock on wood. So three or four times a week, I have, um, I also have bike rides in there. I've got strength training. I work with a mobility coach. Sometimes. I work with a lifting coach as well. Being a plus size person, I guess when you think about that mentally, you know, you wouldn't think you would be someone that runs three or four days a week. And you think it's a power of the mind and you can deliver what you want to deliver? Yeah. You know, I think, well, my body is very accustomed to doing long distances uh, and that's what I've trained it to do. But it also is definitely about mental power and mental grit, the ability to do things that are hard and also to kind of shield yourself from what society's expectations of you are. Uh, so that you can get the work done for yourself. And that's that's how I live my life. You know, people look at me and I definitely, for a lot of people, don't look like a runner or a cyclist. Actually, today, before my run, I heard some people snickering um, when they looked at me because I was in my full kit. You know how cyclists can get <laughs> mm-hmm. with the colors and everything, tight clothes. But I was serious, you know, and I heard them snickering and I knew they were laughing at me because I saw them and I, and, I, and I established eye contact with them. But I was like, you know what? I got work to do. And I went on my ride. And so, so yeah, it definitely takes a lot of, uh, of, of mental grit, um, power, knowing that people are going to have their expectations or their opinions of, of me, <laughs> but doing the thing anyway. And that's, you know, that's, again, that's how I, how I go about living my life. Well, when you think about that and you think about young people today, let's say if there's a plus size person uh, today that's a little younger and, and kids being highly sensitive and the fact you had someone snickering today and you just went on about your business, which, is, you know, I, I think you can applaud yourself for that because a lot of people, I think, especially younger generation, you know, they lay down to that. I mean, mm-hmm. how would you inspire someone younger that, you know, that could be a plus size and have the ability that you do, but may not do it because of the pressure of society? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, exactly the way that I inspire people is by doing the thing and being very public about, about it, doing it in the face of all of this criticism, all of the the thoughts that people have and doing it anyway. It's, it's practiced. Uh, I think I'm also someone who has always been more interested in doing doing what I need to do for myself than pleasing other people, you know, being able to to do stuff on your own. It's just like making sure that whatever you're doing, you're doing for yourself, right? And if you have a solid knowledge of yourself, of what you're about, what your own purpose is, sure, it hurts when people criticize you. Sure, it hurts when people snicker at you. It absolutely does. And I'm not saying that those things don't have an effect on uh, on me or on people that are you know in this in the same sort of situation that I am that I'm in but practice just not getting over it necessarily but practice moving past it and moving through it people are going to laugh at you okay they're going to laugh at you is it the right thing to do no but you are going to do the right thing by yourself and the power of the mind's a very big thing and i have this thing about you know the subconscious being programmed as we grow up and then we start responding with our unconscious bias and a lot of people based on their programming can't get to consciousness first of all cuz they don't understand the programming in your subconscious and they don't understand how you're innately responding with your unconscious bias based on that programming. How did you keep a positive mindset? How did you ground yourself internally? Well, in general, you know, I come from a fairly supportive family or a really supportive family. 
Um, and I've always been pushed to be super curious to a lot of different things. And so that is how I, that's how I go about everything um, in terms of having confidence. Uh, and that confidence comes from, again, persistence. you have to practice putting yourself in situations that are scary, that are, that are, that are not what you typically do. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's how I've been able to face things because it's always, it always stems from this curiosity. You know, what, what could my body do? What could I do? What could I see? What new thing can I see? What new thing can I experience? That is what, that is how um, I'm able to go out and do the things that I, that I do. You said you're a school teacher uh, for 18 years. And what went through your mind in, cl in the classroom with the change of kids and, and so forth and what they deal with and who you are? What, what was your thought mm -hmm. process dealing with, with kids in the classroom? First of all, I love teenagers, love their budding adulthood. <laughs> I love their snark. I, well, I have a 20 year old. He just turned 20 last week. Um, and you know, and I just love the age. There is this, there's this curiosity. There's this, this pushing back. There's this needing to grow. And I, that really, that's something that really gels with me. Um, and, and seeing them grow, seeing them grow from a ninth grader to a, uh, a senior in high school, um, seeing them really pursue their passions, their interests, um, seeing them tr really try to separate themselves from their parents, not not in a, in a bad way, but like become their own people, that that's really priceless. And I love that about being in a classroom. And I love the conversations that I was able to have with my students. I love um, their excitement. I love to see them learning more and more about themselves and acting upon that. I love that. And so like I was a, a cross-country coach, you know, having some of those students on my cross-country team and then seeing that other part of them, I taught at boarding school, so I would see them in a dorm as well. We would eat meals together. That, that was really cool. I got to know these teenagers, te these teenagers holistically. Uh, and not every, not every teacher has that opportunity to do that. I went to boarding school. And so my teachers were like that too. I was on their team. I was, I was in the theater. I was, I was in their dorm. And so they saw this, they saw me as a holistic person. And, and I don't think a lot of teenagers have that opportunity to be seen as whole people. People have a very negative attitude towards teenagers. Um, you know, sometimes for good reason, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but most of the time it's because they don't know them and they don't, they don't know how teenagers are supposed to be developmentally and how they, how they are supposed to act. And that, that attitude that's coming from them is very often a brain thing. It's, it's coming from their brain because they are trying to grow up. And so, um, so yeah, I love it. I loved being a teacher, uh, any chance that I have to go, uh, that I have to go back and be with students. I, I was at a high school last week and that was really fun. Uh, and I get to be with students again next week. I love their energy. It feeds me. Um, and it just allows me to be a better person. That's such a, a positive upside. And I can tell you're a very positive person, which you don't see a lot of, you know, because I think um, a lot of negativity is perpetuated to some extent in society. I mean, did you ever have a situation uh, where, you know, a kid may have an issue or whatever, and you're thinking to yourself, based on where you've been and what you do and what your thought process is, did you ever think like, they don't have that big of an issue? Of course. Because sometimes their issues are are very small, but I know that they seem very big to them. 
that they those issues are very real to them. And that eventually with some space and with some time, they will know that it wasn't the end of the world. Like having, for example, ha ending a friendship or ending some sort of relationship um, would be good for them in the, in the long run. In the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that important. But the way their brains work, small things may seem really, really big to them. So I always, I would always acknowledge that Hey, I know this is this hurts. I get it. I get it. Let's, you know, let's try to pack this away. Let's try to move on with our day. And again, I, I acknowledge that this hurts. I'm so sorry that it, that this person hurt you. Um, but you're stronger than this. You are going to get through this. It might hurt tomorrow. It might hurt the day after, but we're going to get through it. Okay. And so this way you honor their feelings, you honor what they're going through with the knowledge that they will probably get over it or they will move through it. Uh, I don't like to say get over it because some people can't get over things. It's a, you know, depending on what their constitution is. But, um, but I love, I love the idea of supporting them where they are. Like, I love the idea of somebody supporting me where I am. Um, even if something that I'm going through isn't a very big deal or doesn't seem like a very big deal to another person, but if they acknowledge me, they acknowledge what I'm going through, it makes it easier for me to have some perspective and move on. Right. And I, and I, and I wish that for every kid. Well, and listen to that answer. Let's talk about mom and dad. It sounds like the lineage is very strong. How was my, <laughs> how was mom and dad? What was mom and dad? What did they do to produce? So I, <laughs> so I grew up with uh, so my mom and my uh, my stepfather, two very strong parents uh, in Brooklyn, New York. We we were um, you know we lived like right on sometimes below the poverty line, sometimes above the poverty line into working class. But we had a very tight knit family. Uh, we lived in a building with a lot of our family, and so we were together all the time. We have a very strong, um, very populous family family uh, with a bunch of cousins and stuff like that. And so we grew up in this I want to say gorgeous just family unit where like I, I was definitely uh, paying to be the smart one <laughs> very early on. Uh, and so they did whatever they could to support all of my interest and my curiosity. When, when I got into a gifted program, they, everything they could do, if they, if they needed to buy me books, if they need, if I needed to be in school after school or before school, if I needed to join this club or that club, they were there for it. They made it happen. And, and sometimes it was very hard um, for them, but uh, somehow all of that stuff got done. Oh, you know, there, there were some times I wanted to take clarinet lessons and they couldn't I still remember the moment <laughs> where they said I'm, we're sorry we can't afford to take to give you clarinet lessons and that was really sad but I was but I did so many other things that you know I got so much enjoyment out of I got so much uh, enrichment out of um yeah so they you know until this day they are supportive they you know hey what do you need uh, are you are you taking care of yourself that sort of thing so we're we're very communicative very you know, as i said close knit um very positive family we like to have fun we like to laugh and if there's drama in the family we we end up laughing about it so what what part of brooklyn was that bushwick and they they are still there <laughs> They're still in Bushwick. Bushwick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, um, yeah. You know Vicious Vivian Harris? I don't. Who is Vicious Vivian Harris? Vicious Vivian Harris. I don't know if he was exactly in Bushwick. What's the other kind of... Bed-Stuy, Bed Bushwick, Flatbush. I think he was in Bed-Stuy. Mm -hmm. Which is you know, right next to Bushwick. Yeah. Well, you know, when you when you go down the hill, as soon as you make the head down to uh, Bed-Stuy, I think it's like a straight, there's a, like a couple restaurants, there's one chicken place at the top of the hill you go down the hill you make a right in the back and make a right in the back so many chicken places <laughs> i used to, i mean believe it or not i've been there i've been there i went there a couple times with vivian he was a, vivian was a world champion he was a boxer vicious vivian harris oh, okay, okay. yeah he was yeah. 
I think he would be about your age in that range. I think he was, uh, he was a pretty big deal at one time in that area. The other side of that, before you get pushed there, that's the whole Jewish community on the, on the right. So there's, right. right, There's, uh, Williamsburg, right. And that's where my sister lives in Williamsburg and that's where the, the Hasidim are. And yeah. And then on the other side, literally on the other side of the tracks, there's Bushwick. Um, and then, and then if you go, I think it's further, if you go further east, it's Bed-Stuy. So yeah, that's my, uh, that's where I grew up. Nice. Well, I'm the, I'm the redneck. I lived in North Caldwell. New Jersey uh, for well, 12 and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my, that's where my dad was from. And my mom was from North Carolina. So what my part dad, of North Carolina? Asheville. Asheville. I used to yeah. live in North Georgia. We played all the schools. We were in the North Carolina league, actually. We were in our school in North Georgia. We were in the North Carolina league and we would play all the schools up there and okay. uh, cross country and all that. If you've experienced both worlds, here's kind of something that, you know, I don't know why we live on these stereotypes, you know, talking about stereotypes and you know I was in the south had a funny accent I'd go up and see my grandparent my my grandfather and my dad you know my dad's family brought the whole family from Newark on Titchener Street over to North oh Caldwell. <laughs> and um, my family actually built North Caldwell in 1951. They brought the whole family, built their Italian community right there, had the cookie shop and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, what I realized in life, you know, and people create these stereotypes between the North and the South. What I realized is that people don't look at environment and understand mm. what environment does to people's lives compared, you know, and it's, it's just never been a thought process. And what I realized is everybody has the same sensibilities. I think it's just the environment that you experience that create these other nuances. You know, did you ever, you know, when you first went South, did you mm. ever think that and said, Hey, yeah, these people might Thought process might be a little slow, but this is what they're experiencing down here. Well, that's, you know, that's a good question and that, you know, I, I could take three hours to answer that. <laughs> Born and raised in New York City is that I went to rural South. <laughs> I was in the mountains. I lived in rural Jersey, too. I, I was in um, in at the very north end of Somerset County, right into Hunterdon County. Um, I taught, I taught at a school there. We were uh, in between two farms, had a lot of experience living in in the country. I definitely went down South with a lot of stereotypes in my head. And, you know, some of them turned out to be anecdotally true. Yeah, I knew there were. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
going to be accents. And there's a very, very particular North Georgia accent that I cannot replicate anymore because I don't live down there anymore. But, um, you know, there I, I was afraid. I was afraid of, of, of people looking at me as a black woman and maybe being afraid or maybe making some assumptions about me, which lots of people did. But you do that everywhere. Right. People make assumptions about I live in Vermont. Vermont is what the third whitest state in, in the yeah. union. I think it's the third, second or third or fourth. Uh, but it's up there, you know, and then I and I know that people definitely look at me and have a snap judgment. That's what humans do. We have snap judgments about people based on our socialization. Like that's what you're talking about, your environment based on our social socializations and how people deal with various things. Right. And that's baked into how we live. Um, and so the way I would see something, the way my perspective would be, wouldn't necessarily be the way somebody else's perspective would be because they've had differing lived experiences, shocked by how seemingly casual everything was and how, you know, being from New York uh, and having, you know, taught in Northeast schools and, you know, in Maryland, everything moves by quickly. And I'm very, I tend to be very blunt and I say exactly what's on my on my mind where that's what that wasn't how folks were down there very often uh got some feedback that hey maybe you should actually say hi to people first before you go mm-hmm. people a greeting you know before you go in on them or or uh say what you need to say you know and it was just a different it was a different way of being you know i wasn't trying to be rude they weren't trying to be rude to me but you know in that we clashed but we had to understand each other so that's where communication comes in and openness on on every side you have to be open you have to be communicative you have to realize that people have differing perspectives they have different lived experiences and so and, and they and and they need to know that about you um and so so yeah so that that was that was tough i was down there for 5 years my son was uh there for 6 years he was in the boarding school there i was the director of equity and inclusion so i did a lot of training of of students and of of teachers uh some community members and and, and and being better communicators of our cultures, right? And so uh, it's it's a cool thing when everybody realizes that they come from, that they have a particular socialization and that that is not the, the truth for everyone. Like their truth is not the truth for everybody. So it's, it's I think it's really cool. So I definitely experienced that. Yeah, everywhere is going to be different. And you just, I think you have to be patient with yourself. You have to be patient with other people. You know, if you are open and willing to have conversations, that's the way to go. Well, the reason I say that, I mean, you know, I, I reverse engineer everything. You know, I think stereotypes creates a lot of problems. I think the problem today when you talk about stereotypes and whatever level it is, you can't take an absolute narrative and hit somebody over the head with it. You know what I mean? Because yep. you you can't fault you can't fault what someone's experiences have been. But I think if we looked at things as all right, let's understand where this percentage started, whatever the narrative may be. Let's look at where this started and let's walk through this, mm-hmm. right? Because in a way, I think when things are defined, it's almost like putting an absolute on something. And when you put an absolute on something, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you say you're a vegan. People who are vegan, they're going to exhaust that vegan narrative to the cows come home. I think more people should experience different environments to really understand what life is about in a way. Scary for them to experience different, differing environments yeah. that they're not used to. It's really, yeah, because it might shake your world up. People, I mean, they double down on narratives just to keep things the way they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> people absolutely everywhere will double down on whatever kind of narrative or whatever kind of stereotype that they're holding close to their heart 
Because number one, it might be the only thing that they know. Number two, maybe they haven't had experience with uh, another type of person or situation. Uh, and it's it's scary to go beyond that uh, uh, because you're gonna have you're gonna have a reaction that maybe you've never had before. You're gonna have an experience that you've never had before, and that is scary to the human brain. We like to feel safe, right? So yeah, I think I, I absolutely think that people hold on to narratives um, because uh, lack of experience and also because of fear. In, in some of these, in some of these things, you may be experienced. You know, is there anything you could elaborate on yourself that it could have either helped you or caused an issue or something you overcame? When I anything that I do in sports, right? <laughs> Coming back to sports, uh, I so. I started riding bikes because I was injured. I had had, um, torn meniscus and then I had surgery to repair it. And so I couldn't run for about eight to 10 weeks. Suddenly, um, uh, my coach told me to get a bike. I got a bike. I didn't, I was very reluctant. I didn't want to do it. I didn't, I don't, I didn't, back then I didn't, I had a lot of stereotype, stereotypical thinking about the bike community, the cyclist community, uh, in particular, the road cycling community. I was like, oh, those people are jerks. I don't want to be part of that community. I'm not mean, <laughs> but I had to ride a bike. And so I got a bike, rode my bike, and then suddenly I get a bike sponsor. And I'm like, oh, wow, I have a bike sponsor. Suddenly they want me to learn how to mountain bike. And I'm like, um, they sent me a mountain bike. And I was like, what am, what am I What am I supposed to do with this? They're like, well, you got to ride it. I was like, I, I am not a mountain biker. I will not be, I'm not trying to kill myself. Yeah. <laughs> and very often I jump into things that, you know, I'm unsure of or that I jump into things with fear, but I had a lot of fear about mountain biking because it just looks dangerous. And it is dangerous if you think about it. And so what I did was I hired somebody to teach me how to mountain bike because I didn't know the first thing about it. And I went into it really scared. Um, And that's that's another thing that I do is like I, I have this fear on my shoulder. Right. And. I do the thing anyway, because I, you just have to live with the fear. And hopefully as you do the thing more and more, as you practice, you gain more confidence, you gain more skills and you gain, I think you gain skills before you gain confidence, right? Once you have a skill, there's still skills that I have, but I'm still not, I'm not very confident (laughs) about them. I was just talking uh, to someone earlier today about this, um, about mountain biking in, in particular. And, you know, of course, in my in my quest to learn mountain biking, I have gone over the bars several times, several times. Wow. And that is scary. It's so scary. But I've each time I've been able to pop up <laughs> right from going over the bars because everybody goes over the bars. It looks more scary than it is unless you're going over a cliff. <laughs> I'm yeah. not trying to go over a cliff, but it is practice. It is, you know, if you need to hire somebody, if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to do a little bit more learning before you go out and do the thing, that's what you do. But it takes effort, right? It takes and it takes willingness to step into that unknown. Um, and that's, man, there, there've been so many things. There's one thing that I will not do though, that I'm scared of. And it's jumping off a cliff, <laughs> jumping off a cliff into water, into water. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. This is, I was thinking about this today. I'm like, you know, there's one thing that scares me so much that I won't do. Um, somebody's going to have me do it though. Like I'm going to be at a shoot yeah. or something like that, that I have to do. And I'm just going to have to do it. I'm just yeah. going to have to do it. I'm just going to have to let go and try not to control the situation and just jump. Right. So I can, I swim. I'm a good swimmer and I love heights, but uh, yeah. So like, it's, I think that's a great metaphor. Like once you, you, you at some point you're going to get yourself into a situation where you just have to, right. And you yeah. cannot control it, but you utilize the skills that you already have as a human being to get through it and learn something new about yourself and maybe about somebody else. Well, you know, fear is fake unless you get hurt. Well, <laughs> I mean, 
mean, you know, and so, and if, you know, if you get hurt, you get hurt. Yeah, you the get human hurt. body, the human, you know, but you, you don't want to put yourself into, into a situation, a physical situation where you don't have any skills or like, it, that's too dangerous. But like, if it's a, if it's, if we're talking about emotional hurt and maybe uh, ego hurt, I've experienced that too. You know, those things, it's part of being a human being, Yeah. right? Our egos get hurt. We get hurt emotionally. We get hurt mentally, right? But the body is so wonderful. The brain is so wonderful that once we get hurt, we start working on healing, right? And and we've got to let ourselves heal. So we can't walk around afraid of uh, of getting hurt. We can't, you know, unless maybe you have a weak immune system, unless you there's something uh, physically uh, the matter, right? But um, worrying about oh, you know, I might trip. <laughs> mm-hmm. I get a lot of people, oh, I don't know how you run trails. Like I would break my ankle. But you know what? The more you run trails, the less you break your ankle. Mm-hmm. But your ankle gets stronger. All those muscles around there get stronger. Oh, you might twist your ankle. You might sprain yourself. But the body is so incredible that it will heal itself and make you stronger so you can go out again. And so like, I think that's a mindset that that I often have to remember for myself. You know, this is scary. I might fall. I might trip. But I got to get up and continue. You know, emotions is the biggest juggernaut of the universe. You know, if you eliminate emotions, right, and you take take environment and you take 10 types of people that bring some type of lineage to the table and you leave emotion out of it, you can determine based on the traits of the lineage and based on the environment, you could predict what those 10 types of people would do. Um, And I just, this, that's stuff I think about because I, you know, I have some quantum physics coming through. I'm a clairsentient and my family was Native American, uh, Cherokee Indian. And, you know, I, I think if people can maybe isolate things sometimes and understand things like that, I guess it's pragmatically or pragmatic. I don't know how you would say that. I think people can identify things a little better, I think. So within saying that, what is, what is your approach to your to your narrative uh, moving forward? What do you tr- what is your goal with your narrative? I know you do some you said you do some speaking engagements, you mm-hmm, talk mm-hmm. to some people, you have a very positive mindset. What is your goal for humanity? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> my goal for humanity. Uh, number one, I would love people not to be jerks to each other. Number two, I want people to feel empowered to do the things that they need to do for themselves and for their communities. I want you to do things for yourself and for your community, for your family. Do the things that you need to do. Acknowledge that there are people out there that you know have these expectations and perceptions of you, but what really matters is what you do for yourself and what you do, do for your community. Let me just interject this if you started with kids i think i think a lot of people with what you just said i think can be done i think a lot of people are already down the road but systematically i think our system is somewhat sets people up for failure i'll explain why and and, and it keeps people hollow to some extent they don't people because you know when you're in you start in school first of all kids kids till five years old have the greatest imagination you could ever think you could have, right? They get into school, they lose that imagination. We beat it out of them. It's a, a grade system. And I can see this linearly in society where it plays out in a job someone took that they weren't happy taking and 20 years later, they're miserable. These, you know, I think if we can start with someone that is a positive mindset like yourself, create that positive mindset. Because I think kids, you know, when they're in school, they're trying to hit this grade. They're trying to hit a number. And 
that's all they go for. They're trying to hit that number. And when they, they do enough to hit that number and they don't relish anything, they mm-hmm. don't, you know, internalize anything um, that they can carry with them through life and give them more of a foundation. They give that foundation away early in life. And when you give your foundation away early in life, I think by default, we have this negativity that you speak about where people are mm-hmm nasty to people and, and mm. negative to people, you know? So I think if people didn't give away their, their foundation at an early age and we could start uh, with a positive mindset like yourself at an early age, mm. I think society would be a lot different. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. I think we, we need to be in the practice of empowering kids, empowering their, as you said, their imaginations, their curiosity, their zest for life. You know how we stop kids? We, we stop them from running, right? Um, we're like, oh, don't run. <laughs> because, you know, they're out there, they're just having the time of our, their lives and like, oh, stop running. Just, you know, I noticed this in the city and in, in New York anyway, like stop running, stop, just stop. You know, but what is the reason, right? Because we can't control them. Right? Yeah. Um, we're so, we're so bent on controlling people and, and uh, you know, con- kind of sort of controlling how they learn and controlling, uh, not necessarily what they think, um, but just like how they learn and, and what those outcomes are supposed to be. Um, you know, and, and thank goodness, like I, I never worked in a school like that. <laughs> um, we were, we encouraged kids to like explore, 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 imagine, imagine, create, like we stopped them from creating the things that they want to create because you've got to create this, you know, as you said, for this particular, uh, rubric or grade or what, what have you. And then we get sucked into these boxes and it's very hard to be expansive when we're in those boxes. And so, so I, I would say for kids at middle school age, um, not just the, the really young ones, but middle school age, high school, high school, they're so disinterested because we have <laughs> squashed their imaginations, mm-hmm. right? We are not paying attention to the fact that they need to sleep more. And what does sleep do? Sleep allows you to imagine. It allows your brain and your body to recover. Like, and they're not sleeping enough. Like there's, I could go on for three more hours. <laughs> I won't. But they're all, all of these little things add up to this, like a sort of very disengaged humanity, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and when we're disengaged, we don't care. This is not everyone, you know, hashtag not all people, right? mm-hmm. but this is not everyone, but there, there definitely is a trend of, of, of disengagement, uh, disillusionment, dis- disinterest, uh, and just kind of accepting, accepting life as it is. Mm-hmm. People need to be accountable for themselves, yeah. you know, and, and but we also yeah. need to be accountable to kids. We need to be accountable to children, to kids, because they are, as Whitney Houston said, <laughs> I believe the children are the future because they are, they literally are. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, it's the subconscious thing. Have you ever heard that before? Which, which subconscious thing? Subconscious. Well, just, just in general. Well, when I looked at science, science is a one lane highway. So when you look at subconscious, it's identified one way. You look at unconscious bias, it's identified one way. Mm -hmm. You look at consciousness, it's identified one way. And I mean, you're exactly right. You know, we can redesign this world and we can redesign humanity if we start with the kids. Mm -hmm. And, And if you realize that you know, obviously you bring a lineage to the table, you know, with what are attributes they are, traits they are. Um, and then the environment has an effect on those traits or attributes, whatever they are. But those experiences and the way they're, the mind is, 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 I guess, formed, if you will, um, by mm-hmm. information, you know, and however that information comes in to a young person, you know, that's your subconscious. Like I said, it's being programmed. And when we get to a certain point in life, we start responding to mm-hmm. things based on mm-hmm. that programming with our yeah. unconscious 
bias. And, and a lot of people don't realize that and they don't realize how to fix that if they if they have a lot of vibration around that subconscious that is really hard to dig into and that's why we I think we have a hard time getting to consciousness because every human being is supposed to be able to get to consciousness but I think in some ways structurally things are, are set up to, it holds us from getting to consciousness and I think more mm. people if more people understood that and start with the kids we could definitely reset a lot of things mm, agreed. So, agreed yeah oh. well I don't know if you want to touch on anything else we've had a great great conversation with anything else Myrna wants to put out to the world joy just you know be enjoy accept joy into your lives you know uh, embrace it and live it that's what I, that's what I got to say well if you're a plus-size person and you need inspiration um, I think Myrna Valerio is a great person to go to or look for a uh, very positive person you should definitely do some type of uh, inspirational series or something because I think a lot of people can really benefit on what you have to say. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. I do have, I, you know, I do, I do have a course, that, it's a workshop, it's a workshop, not a course. It's a workshop that I do called um, Manifesting Joy. And at the end of it, we create a joy manifesto. Uh, it's really corny, but I'm all about the corn. I'm all about bringing it together, being corny together but also like being joyful in a group of other human beings. I think that's really important for us. Yeah. Well, this has been Myrna Valerio and I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.